Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. First, I'm going through a new It's been happening once a year. Since grandma turned like ninety, my grandmother lived on the on the the farm that was homesteaded by my family in Indiana. She just moved off the farm last year, so like we've been going since she was ninety, thinking like you know not a lot of you know all the cousins show up. We're all over the place. Some of us are in Tennessee. Some of them are still in Indiana. That was thirteen years ago. She's turning one hundred and three this year. She wow. just She just moved off the farm. Like a year ago, she finally moved into like an assisted living house. She was driving up until then, like driving to church every. That's incredible. Okay, by the way, listen to going off track. <laughs> Stephen, Joan, and Brad. Um, uh, Mike's off on assignment, which means Mike's working. Um, but seriously, you have a your grandma's one hundred and three. Yeah, she'll be one hundred and three this summer, and and like, yeah, she literally lived for the past. Whatever, like 80, 103 80 years, years on the farm. <laughs> so, 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 okay, so you're from Indiana. Yeah. Well, you're, I was born there, yeah. You were born where? Danville. It's about. I know where Danville is. You do? I lived in Indianapolis. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, now it's kind of a suburb of Indianapolis. Yep. It's just two towns over Avon, Danville. Right on. Yeah. So, um, uh, I knew people lived in Avon. Yeah. Um, so, so, you were born there. This, our guest today is Brad. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, so you're, so, the farm was homesteaded, so literally manifest was, destiny. Yeah. Someone with a fucking wagon with last name Worrell went out there, uh, pioneer. Except their style. last name wasn't Worrell; it was actually Kiger. Ah, oh, well, now I don't care. But it was my, uh, yeah, my great 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 whatever somebody. Wow. So you're American. Yeah. Well, I mean, so yeah, so she she married into the family yeah. and has been living there since she. Yeah, my dad was born on the farm. Like his dad. Uh, Were you born on the farm in the front room or upstairs behind your? I uncle? was born in that town in the hospital, not far from the farm. But uh, yeah, it's very. I mean, now it's just like I don't know if my cousins listen to this, but now it's pretty white trash. It's pretty like Middle America. It, you know, I remember when I was a little kid, it was still, it was still farm. It was mostly farms. Uh-huh. So it was very, it was really cool. But now it's pickup trucks with G-Unit stickers. Now it's like, yeah, now it's people, you know, it's, it's nasty. Listening to rap, but don't like black people. I mean, it's not so bad. I mean, it's either that or it's, you know, it's, 
<clears throat> you know, it's the suburbs. We've all seen white boys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is man. very, uh, I mean, it is very cops. And some of my cousins, <laughs> some of my cousins are are not helping that image whatsoever. Are they the kind of guys that you know when when they hear a siren, they have to like take their shirt off and grab a bat and go stand out front? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's but, not, I'm related to a couple of those. But yeah, but Grandma, I mean, yeah, she was going going strong. She's still, I mean, she's still more lucid than I certainly usually am. Certainly than I was this morning when I was trying to set up these mics. My great. Both of my great-grandmothers lived to be 101. That's the oldest people I've ever known in my life. Uh, 103, that's just huge. So when she, her picture was on the Today Show with Willard Scott and the Smuckers, did you all gather around the TV? Uh, I don't remember what happened with that. I remember there was talk about it. She but, she sounds probably like, no, I don't want to do that. I think it did. I mean, I think it did happen, but I didn't see it. I don't know where <sighs> I was. Or what, I have a grandma who's... She got a flag from the president. What? Like, whatever. Yeah. I forget who's 95, and we had a birthday party for her probably like 15 years ago, and Michael Jordan and the Bulls were doing a press conference next door. Maybe it was even longer ago, because I was like really young, and uh, she, she got her picture taken with Michael Jordan <laughs> um, on her birthday. It was at some hotel. Like, the photo <laughs> is incredible, because she comes up to like his waist, <laughs> and he's wearing one of those, It's like maybe it was like the late 80s, he was wearing this like full tracksuit, and... Uh, yeah, that was incredible. Uh, my, yeah, my grandmother would love that. She's she's Hoosier all the way through. She's a huge basketball fan. See, my grandmother wouldn't stand next to a black guy. <laughs> my, mine doesn't have that problem. <laughs> Sorry. From the South, and she typifies it. Greatest woman ever. Help, help raise me. Had no idea that she had these racist tendencies uh, until much later in life when she would say things like, yeah, I wouldn't go to a black doctor. I'm like, What? <laughs> You read me Goodnight Moon. Yeah, I, and I feel like that's sort of how people who are against gay marriage are going to feel. Yeah. Like, they're going to be like, dude, you went on the record in 2012 and said this? Like, it's yeah. like someone being like, I'm pro-racism. Yeah. Right. Like, it's kinda, it's it's like progress. It's like inevitable. Like, why mm. would you want to be on the losing side of that? Yeah, like, uh, it's evolution. It's your mind, too, morons. <gasps> Steven, you just outed your grandmother as a racist? <laughs> Why not? Well, I, I outed some of my. You, you, I didn't specifically out my cousins, but she she wouldn't not say it when you met her. And by the way, she's losing her hearing. Chances are she's not going to listen to a podcast. Yeah, is she on iTunes? Do you think? Uh, no, she does on Gmail. Um, wow, well, she's better than my parents already. <laughs> no, not in the slightest. Although my my grandfather, uh, not her her husband, but he he's they're both eighty nine. He lives in Arizona. Um, not racist. Very awesome gentleman. He's on email, and I get forwards from his friends that he then forwards to everybody, and they're the most scary, right-wing, anti-Obama crap that just angers me to the point that one time I just said a reply all as a response, <laughs> like, like, like saying, okay, here's why half the things you're saying are bullshit, and you are not a student of history because you lived through crap that you subjectively looked at. <laughs> Nobody returned. No, nobody emailed me back except for my grandfather, who was very cool. And he was like, you know, the last time I voted Democratic was Truman. And um, they're all pretty much the same. <laughs> and he's now blind in one eye and still drives. So there you go, America. There you go. That, that defines it all. Um, uh, today's racist grandmother spewing <laughs> podcast features John Worcester as a guest. Uh, the hilarious comedian. Oh, oh, yeah. And he's a drummer, too. And, yes. All right, Jonah, see if you can name all the bands he's in. Go. Uh, Super Chunk, Mountain Goats, mm -hmm. 
Bob Mould. And then he's played with pretty much every other band. Yeah, I think everyone. <laughs> I was watching a video last night of him playing with Bob Mould and Dave Grohl. And then wow. playing like his Do songs and like just, I don't know where it was. But wow. it's incredible, yeah. That's phenomenal. So check it out. It's funny, like Super Chunk, of course, awesome. But then you could just, for me, just like stop at Bob Mould. But like he introduced me to Mountain Goats, basically. Like I had no idea. You know, you hear about bands in the periphery, and there has to be a point where you just can't listen to everybody. Right? You know? <laughs> no, exactly. You and have to go. I don't know that band, and I'm cool with it. I don't care that they're huge. <laughs> Shut up. I've heard a lot of fucking bands. Yeah, and I got into John through the Sharpling and Worcester CDs. And if anyone hasn't heard those, they have four albums, and uh, the best show on WFMU and best show gems are just the excerpts of just Tom and John's kind of stage calls, and they're the funniest things ever he is hilarious yes and uh also i just have to say that this is our first topical podcast where we just recorded this but we had to get it out yes but it's it's funny i mean we talk about it kind of happened as an accident john wasn't even supposed to be in town and then all this stuff happened with his flight and then he was able to come in the next day came here right he came literally off the plane took a nap came here and told us a tale that you will hear pretty immediately. And if you, you may have already heard about it. Yes. John Worcester. It's going on uh, So I was supposed to fly back yesterday. And, um, you know, I'm very punctual when it comes to flying. I, I, I like to get there very early and make sure everything's right and don't take any chances. So I, uh, Got there, you know, to LaGuardia, probably hour and a half ahead of time, and um, I have a lot of miles on American, so so I I, uh, I I was bumped up to first at the last minute, and uh, but the weather was bad, so the um, flight was really delayed. It was like probably getting to be like two or three hours at this point, and uh, people are getting really crabby, and there was this guy who was. Uh, Looked almost like uh, I think his name's Mr. Creosote from the uh, the Meaning of Life. He's in the the final scene of the oh, Monty yes. Python film. <laughs> yes, he's offered one thin wafer. Yes, and uh, so he 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 had that kind of thing going for him. And uh, he, he he probably checked his bucket, right? Yes, <laughs> and he he would not uh, he would let anyone with an earshot know that he had been there since six in the morning. So now it's it's like uh, maybe. 3.30 or 4. And uh, so he's he's very mad. This other woman is very mad. And she's... she's You could tell that, that they were gravitating together because they were both in this really negative vibe of wanting to complain at this point. Like they loved the, the bond of complaining. And uh, so... She was threatening to never travel again. Which, which was very upsetting. Wow. And... Uh, so we finally get on the plane, and of course everyone's just really piling on the the flight attendant, whose name was Jose, and uh, the gate person there, and um, and they couldn't control the weather, uh, but the, they weren't really forthcoming with information. They they might not have had any, and uh, so they get on the plane finally, and we're we you know of course you're like 25 in line now at this point because everything's backed up, and so we make it out onto the onto the runway, and we're still waiting and waiting and they realize that there's um not much fuel left in the in the uh <laughs> plane so we have to come back to the gate and so everyone's <laughs> everyone's kind of finding humor in this at this point oh. and we get back and there's a rule that if you if you go back to refuel at the gate you have to disembark 
So everybody has to get off, which just sounds like a disaster because everyone's just going to go off and get lost or not come back mm-hmm. on, on time. And uh, so we're out there in the, at the gate and everyone's kind of sticking by and, and we end up going back on and just taking them forever to find their – like they had to check off each name with a pencil and they can't, the guy can't find the names and it's just going on and on. We finally get on and there's people missing. And I guess during this period of, of, the, re- uh, of the reboarding, people have really been complaining to Jose – and he's getting very upset. And we all get back on. And I think there was one or two people who were still unaccounted for. And Jose gets on the PA and he says, I uh, just want to say that the weather is not my problem. I did not. This is not what I'm responsible for. Um if anyone has the balls, they can come up here and talk to me about it. I don't care anymore. This is my last – this is probably my last day, my last flight. And so we're just going, oh, please, don't, no, don't, don't say that because we all knew that, like, it was going to involve – somehow it, in, it would involve some rule where the flight would be investigated or something. Right. And, which did happen. He he um, what? he 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 went to the back. I guess I, I didn't see a lot of this, but he went to the back. I guess, and some people were really, you know, getting on him. And he he came back and he said, "I am not going to fly with those people, like with, a, with two or three specific people." And <laughs> so the captain gets involved now, and he's like, "Well, I, we got to call the police then." And so the 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 cops come on three officers, and <laughs> he, they ask Jose to point out the passengers and. Points him out, and you just hear this screaming <laughs> in the back, and and I look back, and of course there's people video, oh yeah, yeah, recording on their phones and stuff, and and uh, people are yelling, and and they escort off this couple who just looked straight out of the Real Housewives of New Jersey, you know, the <laughs> husband and wife, and uh, and people are still yelling, and then he goes. Okay, if anyone else wants to leave, you can leave. <laughs> and this girl gets up and she she comes up and, and she says, I already missed my grandmother's funeral and like you're you're a monster. I don't, oh. I don't have to take any of this shit anymore. <laughs> so people are applauding and she walks off and then this stream of like twelve people makes their way off too. Kids a lot of kids who are crying. So there's these families oh who are on God. vacation up here. And their kids are crying, and they all get off the flight, and then the cops come back, and then Jose announces that he's quitting. <laughs> and Did that elicited another round of applause. Some, some people applauded, <laughs> and then the the uh, pilot made the announcement that we need another flight attendant. You have to have two to fly. And Would anyone had, like to volunteer? Right. Everybody, everybody <laughs> has to get off. So we got off again. We're all just standing there in the at the you know at the oh at the terminal, God. and they just announce that uh, it's it's canceled Fuck it. because of weather, which which I guess is their way of 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 not being responsible for it. Right. Right. Wow. Bullshit. But but uh, that is. Yeah. That's the full gamut. Yeah. Of all the stuff. That That's a Samuel happen. Beckett play. Yep. Oh, and then. Uh, yeah. And right before that announcement was made, a gr- uh, one of the girls who was upset threw up. 
There's the finish. <laughs> yep. yes. Big finish. You seem like you would stay pretty calm in a situation I, I like that. Very, well, I was very yeah. I was still sort of high from first class. From, right, from right, not right. Not having to be that involved in it. <laughs> and uh, I, I felt bad for Jose because he was he. I mean, imagine having a hundred and some people just yeah, just daggering you oh, all God. the time. So my my uncle does that for you, oh, Sarah. Yeah. And if you meet my uncle, you're like, wow, haven't you haven't. It's amazing you haven't murdered anyone just for kicks, mm-hmm. as opposed in the airline industry. Right. Wow. Yeah. People, I, I thought, overreacted to the "this is my last flight" thing. Like there, the people were just like, "That's like a terrorist act." Yeah. <laughs> which, which I, I just, I just it was it's a guy the guy's getting job. Yeah, man. the guy was upset, and, and everyone's upset on the flight. Yeah. yeah. And enough people complained to the to the person from the airline about that specific line that. They pressured him into canceling it. So, I, f- I find the way people travel and with twittering and on airlines and things to be very indicative, as weird as it sounds, of the state of the United States right mm-hmm. now. With so many, with so many like you know political factions, it seems like when I was growing up, it was like ah, I don't like Reagan. It was like ah, that Carter was cool. Now it's like fuck you and everything about mm-hmm. you. And you're, it seems like everything's very politicized, and that the airline industry typifies it because it's. Well, if you want to fly, you mm-hmm. want to carry that backpack on. It's a hundred bucks now. Mm-hmm. Wait, what? When did this go up? Like, what yeah. happened? And it's it's very, very typical of you know airline attendants losing their minds. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget being on a flight uh, Southwest years ago, and uh, I was listening. Uh, no, it was America West. Forgive me, a different West. And <laughs> I, I had my headphones on, and you know you've been flying a lot, and they had the the video going on of. Uh, this is where your seat... They have a video. They're not demonstrating. There's a video. Put your seatbelt on. This is where the oxygen falls out. And I was sitting there, had my headphones on and whatever. After the video was over, this flight attendant came over and said, do we need to show it again? And I went, I'm, I'm sorry? Mm-hmm. And she went, we had your headphones on the whole time. Just make sure you need to show it again. You have to watch this to know how it does it. And I went, I, I was watching. It's pretty visual. And I've flown before. And also, I keep my seatbelt on all the time anyway, regardless. So, are you sure? And then I had that split second of, I'm going to make us go back to the gate because yeah. I don't want to fly with this chick. And then my friend sitting next to me was like, I see where your brain's going. Mm-hmm. Just chill out so we can get to Vegas and yeah. do the shoot. Yeah, <laughs> But yeah, it's horrifying. So I imagine you fly pretty consistently. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there was one guy who, who looked like he was in agnostic front like in, in the <laughs> early 80s. And uh, he... I guess the flight attendant, he, he was talking to like his girlfriend who, I can't imagine what that relationship was like, but, but, uh, but he, he was saying, he, he put his hand on me. Like, I guess Jose tapped him on the shoulder at one point oh. and I just told him to get your hand off me. And as I, as I walked by the attendant on our, on our way out, Jose was, he was standing in the, in, in the gateway there, like with the cops, I, I just said, Look down. Don't look up. Like, this kid's like 22 years old and he's like telling a, a grown man, look down. Don't look up. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and then he, of course, yelled at the at the other agent who was making an announcement to speak English. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And he called him retarded, too. Oh, there you go. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, there's no R in that. There's nope. only one R at the beginning. Yeah. There's an H in the middle. He said, this is wow. New York. You know, you've got to watch out. And he and he, he did the, the heaviest hand punch I've ever heard someone do. <laughs> like, it was so, like, of his own, like, oh, really? you never know what's going to happen in New York. And he did it, and it was so, what an ass it was though. frightening. I was like, whoa, that's, <laughs> that guy was guy's unhinged. From Long Island. Yeah. <laughs> looking, <laughs> looking for a fight. But he got all those tattoos in one shot, though. Yeah. <laughs> they were in a road map. He's like, I need a sleeve today. Yeah. Yep. Please. That's the way it works. Spiderweb needs to be here. Yep. Well, obviously, it needs to be there. <laughs> but as this is happening, are you sort of trying to be like, oh, I have to remember this? Like, this is... Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, there there are some... Some of those things will will probably make it onto the best show. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> that sounds like a good play. Yeah. Play. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was so um, honored to be mentioned during that that call when Vanessa was on oh, the yeah. best show. <laughs> And John called and said that uh, I turned him on to, to, I think, therapy. Therapy? and Probably helmet. And helmet, yeah. yes. <laughs> therapy question mark. Yep. Therapy question mark. Wow. Um, wow. And, uh, yeah, Vanessa is such a big fan because I felt like when I was in college, I would exclusively listen to Sharpling and Worcester oh, drive nice. around. So she was um, was hammered in. and then Oh, it's great. Yeah. She, she still in one of my favorite sketches ever, which was the... Uh, the uh, it was a talent show. Yeah. What what's the name of of the bit? Do you, do you know what I it was? I don't know what the actual oh, name so, was. The way she said something that was so funny about about the Was this on was on SNL? It was on yeah. the first was season. It, it was like she did like a was, child actress. She does this. No, she's the host of 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 a of like a talent show is this that's the bar just mitzvah? for like YouTube uh phenomenons. Oh, I know what you're talking this, about. Yeah. Where's the one like you can do anything? That's it. That's yeah, it. Oh, yeah, I yeah. Love that that just is so dead on. Yeah. It's it was uh, this season, I think. Yeah, it yeah. was this season. I was thinking something else. It was this season. It was like all about just like um just like kids with like unentitled confidence. Or like basically you can encouraging kids to do I'm yeah. doing a bad job describing no, it's, it. It's really funny. We will though. find it on the interwebs. Yeah. Yes. You can My favorite it. thing your sister ever did was the was the bar mitzvah sketch. Where, the Jacob's bar mitzvah. Thing. Yeah, where she has one line, which is you know her father. I guess Fred Armisen playing the dad, trying to get you know it's like I paid all this money to get Katy Perry and CeeLo to come in. She goes, I just wanted a modest luncheon. <laughs> <laughs> floored me, floored yeah. me. How to do that? All right. Uh, so John, uh, Pennsylvania, I believe. Yes. Yes. Now Philadelphia or, or whereabouts? About uh, thirty-five miles northwest of Philadelphia. Which town? Would a town be? called Harleysville. Harleysville. Um, not really known for anything. Um, um, I went to the same high school. I was two, three three classes behind Jamie Moyer, the uh, baseball player, the oldest baseball player. Look at all these blank stares. Yeah. <laughs> he's Look still playing. That. He's forty nine. He's, he's still playing in the pros. Oh wow! Yeah. So he's trying to get up on up get up, get up on Cal Ripken's record. Or? He must be. Yeah. Hmm. He's yeah. He's almost fifty, and he's still in the majors. You can be impressed the fact that I know an athlete over there. Cal Ripken, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I I grew up there. It's, it, it, at the time, it was um, pretty rural, like farm mm-hmm. farm country Mennonite oh, town, yeah. which yeah. is like just a little hipper than Amish. Yeah, they still got their buggies, but you know they're a little they can drive. About it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I went to a, a school. I went to was right next to Eastern Mennonites. So there's Mennonites all over oh, the place. Okay. So yep. grew up around them. Uh, and when did when did drums start for you? Um. I think I really like just watching drummers on American Bandstand or any TV show like that. And uh, just kind of really gravitated towards the drums and took lessons. I think I started when I was like 10 
and when they, you know, when you start lessons as a kid, you just get the little practice pad, which is the least satisfying thing for a ten-year-old. You know, so it's it's almost like torturous. And of course, you quit because you mm-hmm. you want to do the whole thing. And and then I ended I, I ended up getting a, a drum set when I was like fourteen, and I kept taking lessons maybe for two years or so. And I really got into it, and I pl- would play along with records. The first record I ever played along with was. Uh, Squeezing Out Sparks by Graham Parker. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's an amazing record. Yeah. So that was like, once I realized I could, I could play along with a record, that was like, I, I didn't have any, any, any desire for lessons anymore, which was, I don't know if that was good or bad. But, um, so I, I just played along with records for years. Wow. And then got in little bands in school and, and, uh, and that just kind of. Who are some of your guys, drummers, that you liked? Um, early on, I loved, uh, I really liked Stuart Copeland when those first couple police records came out. And uh, Topper Heaton from The Clash. Oh, yeah. God. Um, and then guys like um, Pete Thomas from The Attractions. And, right, yeah. Uh, my two biggest ones are probably Steve Jordan, who uh, was the drummer on the Letterman mm-hmm. show and has gone on to play with Keith Richards. And he, he produced the band that I was in right before Super Chunk. He did a session for us. And it was like a roots rock band. And, wow. And I, I learned more just from that week of being with him than with anything. He's anything. exceptional. He did the yeah. John Mayer trio with uh-huh. Pino Palladino. He's ridiculously yeah. good. And yeah. he, has, he had a kind of a partner in <clears throat> r- rhythm section back in the Keith Richards day. The guy played played bass and drums in Keith he used Richards' to switch, band. didn't they? They did. His name's Charlie Drayton, right? And he's really great. He played on, um, he played on some crazy hits like "I Touch Myself" by the Divinals. Mm, he's yes. like this super no frills, deep in the groovy kind of player. He played on that. Played on Love Shack. Oh wow! Uh, and a bunch of things like it's that. Like a Jim Keltner type. But uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, those two are deadly on those key mm-hmm. records. Yeah, man. man. The yeah. backbeat on those records is so... Yep. Is this the expensive winos? Wow. Yeah. Records? yeah. God, those are good records. That first... Well, he did two records, and then... It was like, you wouldn't want the Stones... At that point, you don't want the Stones to do anything after those two yeah. records. Those records are so awesome. Yeah. And, like, p- punk rock, I love Bill Stevenson from The Descendants and uh, Chuck Biscuits. Um, What's he doing now? I love that guy. I don't think he plays anymore. Remember last I saw him, he was in Social Distortion. That was years yep. ago. I think it was the last thing he did. Maybe. God, he was so good. Um, Murder Junkies. Uh, uh, Dino Sex, yes. Yeah, there you go. I, 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 t- I took a picture in, in your <coughs> men's room of, uh, of a Hank Williams III and the Murder Junkies sticker. Hey. Oh, yeah. yeah. I didn't know that was a... That's, guy, a, that's quite guy. a pairing. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so drumming and then, uh, how did, this is what fascinates me most. Cause I find most drummers are, uh, as a former drummer myself, um, just lacking of ability and talent, uh, kind of mouthy normally. So I see the delving into comedy and things, but where did that start? Um, I always liked comedy. I, I, I never, I would never have thought I'd be where I am now in in terms of comedy, like d- d- doing anything really. I, I loved um, SCTV when that was on as a kid, and um, Saturday Night Live I liked, and uh, um, those were the the big ones. Um, 
I, I, and then as I got older, I loved Get a Life, the, the Chris Elliott uh, oh, God, yeah. show. That that was a big one. That's what Tom, the first thing Tom and I kind of bonded over. Really? So I, I always just liked comedy and, you know, writing little funny things. I never thought about pursuing it at all. And then when Tom Sharpling and I kind of hit it off, we actually met at a... I think we met at at a uh, it was that same sh- tour that you were referencing. It was it was uh, in New York. This would have been 1992. Uh, My Bloody Valentine, mm. Super Trunk, and Pavement. Oh wow! At uh, the New Ritz, which was the old Studio 54, and because uh, the old Ritz was Webster, became Webster, right? That was the. Um, yeah, that wasn't open very long. The New Ritz. I remember. Yeah, it was very I saw brief. the Pixies up there. <laughs> yeah. Probably around that same. Well, yeah, it was real brief. Then. So he was just at the show. He was and at just... the show, and, and he he had a history with Super Chunk before I was in the band. He had a fanzine in, I guess, the late '80s, early '90s called Eighteen Wheeler, and he was a, a fan of Chunk and Super Chunk. But before I joined the band, he he did an article on on the band, and he put he put out Mac from Super Chunk, his first side project single, uh, Portostatic. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he put that out on, on his label. And uh, so he came to the show that night, and we just kind of hit it off. We were talking about Get a Life and Chris Elliott and this uh, this very short-lived VJ on MTV. The, the original host of Headbangers Ball was this big burly guy named Smash. Dude, Smash. Do you remember Smash? Smash was in a wheelchair and introduced me to Guns N' Roses. You're kidding. I was not personally. I was watching Headbangers Ball at home. Right. Um, did a lot of TV watching. Yeah. And it was stayed up late to watch it. Mm-hmm. And he was sitting there, and he was like, "There's this great band coming on," and they they just sat there quietly. And he made some joke about Smash and Slash, like mm. they were brothers. Mm. And they proceeded to completely destroy the set of yeah. Headbangers Ball, which I found out years later from talking to people I knew working at MTV, they were going to do that anyway. Oh. So to literally save money on the demolition, <laughs> they'd ask Guns N' Roses, can you just tear the place up? And they yeah. destroyed the entire wow. set, and then he was never seen from. So, so I, what happened to Smash? Well, years later, I was uh, I was making a record with Jay Farrar, his first solo record from Uncle Tupelo and Sunbolt in St. Louis, and I was driving along in St. Louis, and I turned on the radio, and Smash was the DJ. So... He was at some point in 2000 or 2001 in St. Louis. There's just dudes. That's the that's their gig. Like they'll go from city yeah. to city, town to town. It's just the the local DJ, and usually they end up as the morning guy. It's like yeah. morning zoo in Iowa, right. morning <laughs> zoo in Albuquerque. Yeah, you know, got to get your guys in the background who mm-hmm. laugh a lot. It's very key. Right. So you guys. Uh, so I didn't know he was. You bonded over him to like comedy with Smash, or that was just we just thought tough... that somehow it came up in that conversation that first night, and we just thought it was he was just. The 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 it was just an odd person. It was just an odd blip on our radar. Mm-hmm. But like we we both remembered it, even though he was so short lived on on MTV, and we just thought that this persona of this guy Smash was. was See, I thought you were going to mention weird. Kevin Seal, who was like my favorite DJ because yeah. he was just hilarious. Mm-hmm. He was one of the the early hosts of. That he was he I think he kind of filled in on 120 minutes, but he's famous for this this joke that. You've never heard of them. I'm going to tell now, even though it's famous. Uh, when Roy Orbison died in the Traveling Wilburys, mm-hmm. he he announced it on, on MTV. And then um, they were going to get Del Shannon to mm-hmm. replace him on in the Traveling Wilburys. And then Del Shannon died. <laughs> so while he's telling the story, you hear a phone ring off camera. And they're like, Kevin, it's the Traveling Wilburys. Tell them I'm not here. 
<laughs> that was That's just this horrible really bit. <laughs> but like that was that was his shtick. That's great. And he would do these things called Kevin Seal Sporting Fool, which predated um the the rock and jock guy on MTV yeah. doing the silly stuff, diving around. But it was like that. Oh, Dan Cortez. Dan Cortez, mm-hmm. yeah. And he I would, just saw him on Seinfeld. Oh yeah. I forgot that he was on that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Manana. Telling yeah. me to step off. Step off. <laughs> yeah. Step off. <laughs> There's a great oral history on on MTV that came out recently. That's that's yeah. really good. I heard yeah. about that. Yeah, goes uh, you know all my faves: Carolyn Heldman, Adam Curry, mm-hmm. the, the the whole crew. Adam Curry, not not a cool dude. Really? That's, <laughs> in this book, he comes off very bad. Yeah. Wow, his dirty fucking Danes. Yeah. No, he's Dutch, right? Yes. Which I, I don't think I ever knew that. Yeah. Yeah. He was like a Dutch like TV personality. Yeah. And, and now he's he's the podcast god. He started it. He he's and he he lets you all know that how, yeah. how rich he is in this book. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. yeah. One thing that I love about you and Tom's comedy is it's so long form, and I feel like a lot of people I've, I've you know I played a lot, especially like mm-hmm. New Hope for the A Beard mm-hmm. was kind of how I got into it, and it's I feel like a lot of people want a quick payoff. Oh yeah. And some of that stuff, um, people are like I don't get. It. I'm like, no, you have. It's so much better. Yeah. When I mean, like, <laughs> how did was it hard to get people sort of on board at first, or was it? We didn't really care. Yeah. Uh, and like we, I, I still have no idea how many people listen to it. So, um, t- t- for us, it's 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 just it's still doing it in a vacuum. Where, yeah, like some of the, the, the I think the last bit we did that five hundredth episode, I think that call was over an hour long. So, it is a lot to ask of people. So we just assume that who's ever going to be into it is going to be into it, and a lot of people aren't going to be into it because it's so long. Um, that, yeah, we don't, that doesn't really play into it. Like, is this, are people going to like this or is it, is, are they going to not have the patience for it? It, it? You know, 11 years later or however long it is, it's, it's what we do and we're, that's. Well, where, where, was the, where, was, where was the genesis of it? Where did you start and go this, did it evolve into that style or did you, no, was everything fir- very calculated? No, we never really plan anything the uh the, the first call we did was um it was in it was before the best show it was called the best show it was 1997 and uh we we were <laughs> tom and i used to talk on the phone like every day he lived up in um new jersey and he worked at a store in summit and so we just talk when i was off the road and uh just talk about funny things and we it was it was the day the verdict came came down from this um, some crazy lawsuit where Oprah Winfrey was getting sued by the I think they're called the Beef Council or something. Oh yeah, and yeah. she had she had said things about beef, you know, derogatory things about beef, and uh, so she went to she had to go to court in like San Antonio or something, and they found her innocent. Of, of this and uh, so she came out on the steps of the courthouse and she said freedom not only rings it rocks and we just thought that was the weirdest <laughs> dumbest thing to say <laughs> and, and so that somehow through that we just started talking about like what rocks and like what rules and what sucks and it turned into this idea for this where i would call in as a guy who had written a, a rock reference book uh called rock rot and rule and that was our first call. I called in and ha- we'd really written it out, re- pre- you know, pre- prepared it. And I had written down like examples of what bands would rock and rot and rule. And it, basically it was this, this interview with this clueless 
writer and his, his rock reference book where he just tells you what bands rock, rot, and rule. And since it was the first call, people just thought it was real. And people were calling in to argue, and but the the character I was in just would not relent at all. It was just it was like arguing with a wall, <laughs> and so it really it really brought out a lot of anger in in people. One guy just kept calling back to argue about how madness did did not invent ska, and his <laughs> 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 record collection saying, I, "I hold here the first, you know, a, 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 an early early ska album." Compilation. Do you know what it's called? And I said, "Is is it called Our House?" <laughs> so that just kind of that was our first call, and it was it, and it went really well. And then we ended up putting that out as our first album, uh, like two years later. And then they just kind of we just kept doing calls and doing calls, and here it is, eleven. <laughs> 12 years later. Is it hard for you ever to keep track of kind of all the characters? Because Newbridge, it seems like yeah. it's so much now. There, There's a, a, a guy who's who's a real, uh, he's a huge asset in that department uh, who um, named Omar, who I'll, pretty much every week when I'm writing a bit, I'll just say, what what is this person's relationship to this? Does this person have kids? That, so he, he keeps all the records of the characters and whether or not he's still this person's still alive or what happened to him and so yeah it's too much for us to keep track of but this person somehow is able the fact to, that the, to do the it. backstory of all your characters involves an index and or appendix uh-huh. is, is fascinating <laughs> oh, yeah. in and of itself so the, the the length of the bits is that is there an ending do you know where the payoff is when you go into it and just allow yourself some room to stretch or A how much bit. is there, scripted there it's at this point they're like 90% scripted. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's the nicest compliment that people just think we we, we make it up because I, I guess it doesn't sound, maybe it doesn't sound scripted, but it's, I mean, it's, we want them tight. The early calls were pretty loose, like mm-hmm. probably 50% scripted. Mm-hmm. And you, you get a lot of me- meandering mm-hmm. in that way. And it's it's just not as as tight and direct. So now we like to do it really, there's room to, to improvise mm-hmm. and, uh, Tom likes to be su- surprised a lot, so mm. I I won't tell him a certain reference is coming up, and I we try to make each other laugh. Yeah, I'm so. impressed that you guys don't break more. I mean, because yeah. I feel like you can hear it sometimes. Oh yeah, yeah, like, definitely. <laughs> it's a lot of squirrels running around mm-hmm. or mice. A mouse was, yeah. Now it's I drop my wallet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's this great reference to um the old Groucho Marx game show. You bet your life. Mm-hmm. Where years later, someone asked, like the executive producer, "Well, was it improvised or was it scripted?" And he went, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that was it. That was the whole thing. Uh-huh. <laughs> and just let the rest of it yeah. go through." That's that's amazing. So, uh, with the the drumming and the comedy, how did you go from being? Were you always in a bunch of bands, or were you? Would you consider yourself like the drummer for Super Chunk, mm-hmm. and you play with a lot of other people? Um. Well, it's funny now. I, I'm kind of where I always hoped I would be. Like I, I, I love like having like a home base, which is super chunk, which doesn't really do a lot anymore. Like we'll mm-hmm. make records, but we don't. Everyone's so busy, we don't really tour much. So that allows me to be able to play with like Bob Mold, who I'm doing a lot of stuff with now, yeah. and. The Mountain Goats is kind of my main band right now. Yeah, that was fun. I watched that um, one of those fun surprises where I turned on uh, the AV Club, mm-hmm. the Undercover series, 
because uh, that's my favorite website. Yeah. And the undercover thing, and it was like Mountain Goats doing was Boxcar that? by Jawbreaker, right. and mm-hmm. I'm like, well, right, I'm I'm in. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite band. And there's John. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. It's very cool. So that's that's your gig at the moment. You would say that's kind of the main one. But the, the Bob Mole stuff is really getting busy now. We have a new record coming out, and we're mm-hmm. going to be tour a lot. And then um, so between the, the odd super chunk stuff and the Mountain Goats and Bob Mold and and other stuff, it's yeah, it's 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 busy. Now with Bob Mold, I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan of his. And were you a fan beforehand? Was oh, that yeah. kind of a like? Uh, how did he find out about you? Well, I um I must have met him. Uh, Somewhere in the '90s, I was a huge Who's Could Do a Family. I was a kid, like from real early on, and and, and um, no, I think his first band was Sugar. I think it was too. You're right. <laughs> uh, so loved loved them. One of my still one of my favorite bands. And then uh, a friend of mine was uh, his guitar tech in Sugar for the whole run, and that that's kind of how how I I met him, met him, and uh, and then um, go to like 2004 or something. Maybe three. I was. Uh, we were putting together a Robert Pollard band from Guided by Voices. He mm-hmm. he was was putting his first solo record out, and I was going to be the drummer. And Tommy Keene was the bassist, and a guy named Dave Phillips, who plays with Frank Black, uh, was going to be the other guitar player. And we needed a bassist. And I had seen, or Tommy had seen, uh, Jason Narducci playing bass with Bob in this band uh, in this ba- in band so we got him to be the bassist in the Robert Pollard band so now flash forward to 2008 I think uh, Bob Mould is on on the road and Jason's playing bass and I guess they were having trouble with their drummer and Jason suggested me to to jump in and Mountain Goat Store had just ended that day and so uh, he, he recommended me so you only play with people named Bob it's that's right yep so I flew out to LA and joined the tour, and wow. that's, that was it. Yeah. And Bob talks about that in his memoir. Yeah. Which is is a lot of flattering things to say. That was very nice. Yeah, I was really, I was really happy to see. So that. you're a fan of a band. You're not playing in the band. He's like, oh, let me reference you in my autobiography. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta say, that's one. I think that's one. I've read most of the rock bios, and that's I, that's a, in the top ten. I, I totally agree. Yeah. I have to read. Yeah, that. it's, it's really so good. good. A lot of levels to it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's fascinating. I, yeah. I've only seen him. I've seen him once. Uh, play and I don't think you were the drummer mm-hmm. and uh, and then I've just seen him a, a lot just acoustic and stuff which is yeah. fascinating. Um, now what was it like? With, I'm a huge Guided by Voices mm-hmm. fan. Uh, all incarnations, yeah, <laughs> as they are now. And uh, did you play with uh, Rob Pollard? Did you play in Guided by Voices at all, or was it just specifically him? I play. I actually <clears throat> played one show with Guided by Voices. Wow. And uh, it was the summer of 2001 and. It was the first. What's the festival that's at Coney Island? What's that called? Siren mm-hmm. Festival. Siren, yeah. yeah. It was the first one of those, and um, Superchunk was playing, and Sleater Kinney and John Spencer and GBB were playing, and uh, they. Uh, Bob asked me if I could play with them the next day or two days later. They had gotten this last-minute show opening for Weezer at uh, Irving Plaza. And it meant just being playing like twelve songs, so I, I figured I could probably do that because I knew, you know, I was a, fa- a fan, so I, I could. Yeah, you of, could ho- you could hope that those twelve songs were in the fifty that they normally yes, play in a set. Yes. <laughs> so he let, he let me pick the songs. Okay, was that great. was that was my question. Yeah. How you wow. got into yeah. that catalog? Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I, I have I have the frame set list on my wall. And, wow. Uh, uh, so we went into 
Asbury Park, New Jersey, to practice once. And then we, we, we played the show. We, 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 we pulled up to the Irving Plaza in the mm-hmm. van. And it was, so it was opening for Weezer. But it, was, it was an MTV contest. So they just kind of got, you know, had like 500 kids who, who entered this contest to, uh, to come see the show. So we pull up in the van, you know, these older dudes. And uh, there's these kids on the sidewalk. And we get out of the van and they all go, hey, Weezer. They had no idea even who Weezer was. <laughs> So they they thought we were Weezer. And, well played. Yes. Yeah, it's a good contest. Yes. So that was a show I played, and I, I got to play a I got to play a song with them at their final show, which is which is the Metro on the video. Yes. Okay. Which song did you play? Uh, I am a tree. <gasps> wow. Yes. So you played the the Doug Gillard tune. I did. Right on. Yes. <clears throat> and uh, so then through that, when Bob put his record out, I. I Pitched myself to the, as the drummer. And he now, said, was okay. this Soft Rock Renegades or one of the other? This was oh. called Robert Pollard and the Ascended Masters. Oh. Yes. So that's one of the 50 that I don't have because it's hard to keep track. Yes. God, it puts out so many albums. There's a, I think our, our only, uh, the only artifact uh, is a, uh, a live, maybe 15 song CD that we, we did uh, opening for Pearl Jam. At, at the Mellon Arena in in uh, Pittsburgh, <laughs> one of the many GBV shows I saw. Uh, I was in California at the time, and I think Suitcase had come out. Maybe uh-huh. Suitcase Two. I think it was Suitcase. He was like, "It's like band names. We got a million of them." Bob on stage. Right. And he went, "I'm going to make up one right now." It's all quiet. Leans into the microphone. Looks down. Looks up. Coconut blowjob. <laughs> yeah, he was always coming up with <laughs> titles, and he's he's a genius. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, now, also uh, uh, in, in in looking at things, we got to be honest. Don't really do a lot of background when we talk to mm-hmm. people because usually we're familiar with how they do it. And yeah. so I was looking up things about you, scanning the interwebs, and uh, Rocket from the Crypt popped up. Mm-hmm. What did you do with them, and when? Um, I well they Super Giant and Rocket toured together quite a bit in like ninety two, ninety three. And um we were just friends over the years. We'd always, you know, see each other and when Adam, their drummer, left, um they wanted to make a, a record and they just I guess they were having a hard time finding someone and they just called me to see if I would I I'd play on the record. And um was that group sounds? Yep. Yeah. So I I think I'm on maybe eight and let me just stretch my arm out right here. Oh my god, look at that. <laughs> yeah. No big deal. Yeah. Not a big deal at all. Yeah. <laughs> so that was exciting. That that was fun and they're they're oh. one of my favorite bands. So yeah. that, that was really cool and uh um Yeah. I they wow, that's a phenomenal. I you like that band? It's a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Had they played for one more year, I would have had a solid decade of seeing them every year. And uh, their last show when they well their second to last show when they played here in New York at, mm-hmm. at the Hard Rock, um, there was a guy who worked for Little Steven who was trying to make that happen. I and then that. I ran into Little Steven uh, at like one of the one of his uh, many successful Save CBGB's concerts um, that I was I was at because I heard Bad Brains was going to play. Yeah, 
They didn't. It was just HR walking around. Uh, and I went up to him and I was like, hey, um, we have a gazillion mutual friends, little Steven, because that's how you should open a conversation with him. <laughs> and he was like, okay, who? And I threw out some names. And he was like, oh, my God, yeah, I know that guy. And I was like, okay, cool, I'm in. And the first thing I said was, before we start talking, what are we going to do about Rocket from the Crypt breaking up? And he went, what? They're breaking up? <laughs> I like to think that I helped. Yeah. <laughs> helped get that show put together at, yes. at the Hard Rock, where they went on at 1 in the morning. After six hours, because I showed up at Soundcheck and just oh. kind of walked in and stood. So I was there from <laughs> six... It was in Times Square, right? Is that where it was? Oh, yeah. yeah. I was there from six o'clock till three in the morning, and I made my poor wife hang out oh, the whole time. I was going to say, please tell me you were there by yourself. <laughs> I oh. was like, she was like, um, no, you really want my support for this? She's like, we have to be here. She's like, you're crying. Now I'm just sad for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Get over yourself. So I just like initial bands, RFTC, GBV. <laughs> That kind of thing. Wow, I can't believe they played on that record. That's phenomenal. I mean, we're talking about kind of Bob's autobiography earlier. I mean, have you considered doing something like that? Because it sounds like you have so many amazing oh, stories. Yeah, like, yeah I, I, I think eventually I will. Yeah. Um, I'm never sure how to how like personal to get. You know what I mean? Like his is incredibly right. open and personal. And I, I that's something he and I have been talking about. Like how... How deep do you go? <laughs> no, he, totally. He was, yeah, he, well, yeah, I guess you have to get deep, to that yeah. legal point of how, what names can you name, yeah, you know, and that yeah, kind of deal. Yeah. If you're going to so, throw it in there. Yeah. But I, I think I have a lot of funny stories at mm-hmm. least, so there'll be something at some point, yeah. Now, with um, uh, so drumming, comedy, and I follow you on Twitter, mm-hmm. and uh, a while ago, you were just very open with uh, years of sobriety. Three years on Thursday. Right on. Yes. Nice. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. So happy birthday. Thank you. Um, that's really cool. So when, dare I say, when you're playing with Guided by Voices in that mm-hmm. tour, was that not part of the sobriety moment? Because no. that band specifically uh, drinks all, a lot on all stage. All of them. I mean, I, I didn't really start drinking until this really crummy tour that Superchunk did with this band called Seam in, um, like, 96 of Europe. And I just, I found myself just drinking to get through the sound check. Like there's this t- this period between like the load in and the show that was just like devastatingly soul zapping. Like it was like January in Europe and it's pre internet, pre everything, and you're yeah. just sort of like you're just kind of sitting there and just depressing. And uh, so I n- I never really drank a ton, but. I went. I had a period where I was touring a lot with like uh, Carl Newman from the New Pornographers mm-hmm. and 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 the Mountain Goats and Bob it was all like tour to tour to tour and and uh, you know, I found myself drinking like between soundcheck and the end of the night, you know, eight eight drinks or so, beer, mm-hmm. wine, hard stuff, and never like out of control. But mm-hmm. after a couple of years straight of that, like I, I I drank every day probably for. At least five years, right. I would think, and then I just this the, the last time I I got drunk was I was playing with AC Newman at this place. What's it called? Santos. Oh, Santos yeah. Party House. Yeah, yes. it was the day Michael Jackson died. And uh, it's a great place to go if you don't want to hear the band. You're oh seeing. my god! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I was at that, and I was drunk, and I just remember being really in a foul mood. And my then girlfriend was there. And I just felt bad for her that I was just kind of a crab and. And the next day I just sort of, I said, that's, that's it. And, uh, I was, I read this book. It's called, uh, the easy way to stop drinking. And, uh, this guy had written a very successful smoking book 
how to stop smoking. Alan Carr is his name. And, uh, and so I finished that book and, and the way the book works, you, you keep drinking while you're reading it, but at the end of it, you take your last drink. Wow. And I was staying at, at my friend's place and, and he had a bottle of Jack Daniels and I took my last drink and that was it. That's it. So like, you don't know program or anything like no, that? No, 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 I didn't do any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it would take me a really long time to read that book, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> Word six. Right. So I've been lucky that n- nobody I, re- I play with at this point really drinks a lot. So it's Bob doesn't, Bob mm-hmm. quit in like 86, I think. And mm-hmm. Mountain Goats guys don't really drink. And so it's. Was that, was it social or did you do it by yourself? Both. Okay. Yeah. That was the hardest part was not drinking like socially. Yeah, you know, cause, and that's still hard. Like you just go out and you're just sort of, all right, everyone's orange juice drink. and cranberry thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, you see enough like people being stupid that that kind of just reinforces your decision in a way. You know, was that it for you? Was it was it just booze? Yeah. Okay. Um, I smoked pot. Not never. Not a ton, but like that, the wine and pot high was my favorite. I never bought it or anything, but I, that was, I really liked that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I miss fermented that. grapes. Yeah. And, yeah. I, don't, I don't smoke weed, but it sounds like a nice thing to do. Yeah. Maybe I'll take it up. Yeah. Do you think that kind of figures into kind of your productivity? Because I feel like every time I email you or mm-hmm. something, you're right on top of it. I feel like you're so yeah. kind of. Yeah, I do. And it's, um, Things really opened up for me when I stopped, I think. Um, yeah. So it, it's been a, a help, I think. Could you drum, like, buzzed? Like, that always fascinates me. Yeah. Like, um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I'm sure with those Robert Pollard shows, I was <laughs> pretty drunk. Yeah. I think you had to be. Yeah. Um, but never enough to, I, I've never been, like, out of control. Right. Yeah, but de- definitely drunk. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. That that in, I remember in college, I got drunk playing one gig, and mm-hmm. afterwards they instilled the two beer drummer rule. Right. Because I don't think they were so angry that I fucked up the set, but mm-hmm. that I passed out consistently and uh, missed loadout. Yes, so that's I, worse. I, so I never <laughs> yeah. packed. I never packed up the kit, right? And I always disappear. And I like, and I'd like wake up at some chick's place and be like, "Oh fuck, I missed it again." Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. But no. Well, congratulations. Thanks. For yeah, that's, that's huge. You. Um, so that's a, oh, go ahead. Steve. No, I was just say that's a big deal. It is a big yeah. deal for sure. Good job. Um, so, what's next for you? The the acting is that going to be? Um, I know you, I've seen you in a bunch of videos, obviously, the Super yeah. Chunk video and Tom stuff. Is that something you enjoy doing as well? Yeah, yeah. And we just did did one. That's why I was up here. Uh, and, yeah, it's it's more comfortable now. And it's and, and he and I have have a nice rapport, obviously. But, but uh, like, now that we're doing it visually, it's, 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 it's really cool, too. And it's fun to explore that, that stuff. What kind of acting? Just like more sketches or community. I know Tom did the he did that Ted Leo video, right? Mm-hmm. He's done a bunch of them. Yeah. yeah. He did that Ted Leo. Yeah. So so he's directed a bunch of great videos and I, I've been in, in a few of them. Mm-hmm. So so um uh, that's a fun a fun thing to do. So you're to just do expanding also. all the awesome stuff yeah. I enjoy. Drumming, comedy, <laughs> no, now you're gonna yeah. act. Into I, comic books too and wrestling. No, it's funny, I never got into comic books. That's where Tom and I don't have a 
have a connection, like in terms Whoa. of I, I don't know about any of that stuff. And so, and he's really into he loves that oh, stuff. Man, yeah. Tom, a lot of a lot of people do. Seems. Oh, yeah, it's, it's well, it's one of those things that when if you were in in our generation, as as I'm lumping us into the same age mm-hmm. bracket. Um, if you're really into comics in the '80s, like you read in them, you didn't stop. Yeah, like it just it just petered off into like I like specific writers more mm-hmm. than I'm like the art in this is sick. I don't really think about could Superman really beat Hulk. I'm like if whoever's going to take that tack in a story, mm-hmm. that'll fascinate me more. And then you just keep reading it, and then you learn that the people that are writing them grew up the same way and writing some fucked up shit. There's certain <laughs> comics like Joan and I went and I've gone into Midtown and looked at and going, can't, can't buy this. <laughs> this is too scary. Can't deal. <laughs> One thing I've always wondered is some of the musical references you pull out are mm-hmm. just so incredibly obscure. Like when you mentioned like the original third bassist in Fog Hat or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, is this stuff you know? Like, do you have this kind of encyclopedic knowledge? Yeah, that that is, uh, it's funny. Tom and I always joke about how we we wasted our lives reading cream magazine and all this stuff as kids but it's totally paying off now because we yeah can, you never would have thought it yeah time, right? so yeah th- that all that stuff is somehow it's in there i don't know how or why but uh wow that makes sense with the long form comedy because cream articles didn't end yeah, yeah. i mean they would just go and go and go <laughs> mm-hmm. like i mean i mean that seriously like that makes sense with that form of um content driven and then you know an ending like, like it, it's not about where it ends it's about what's going on during does that make sense yeah 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 wow. one of my favorite calls you guys ever did was the one where the guy's like robbing someone's house and he falls down the stairs and uh kid ebay yes. kid ebay yeah. and that's my mom's favorite really yes. yeah and some of the references <laughs> during that one are just incredible and that that that's one of the only call maybe the only call we've ever done that is completely improvised except for the stuff going up to the fall where I fall down. Everything else, that, that conversation is just really two geeks talking about pop culture and music. Yeah, yeah. When you reference these bands, is it because you are a fan of them or it just sits in your memory banks? Because this is where my brain goes. When you say you read a book about Alan Carr, all I'm thinking about is Eric Carr from Kiss. The whole mm-hmm. time you're talking about that. I'm like, well, how can I weave that in? Probably not. It's kind of more of a touching story just to let the man talk. But like, I'm always like cross-referencing things in my head. I watched an Eric Carr documentary yesterday. Fantastic. <laughs> Boom. The Fox. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, that's... Uh... That's kind of how the train of thought goes. It's, yeah, it's just one thing that has nothing to do with Eric Carr leading to Eric Carr. Oh, it yeah. actually probably all ends with Eric it Carr does. when you think about yeah. it. I think I have his comic book somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, because, but we like the stuff. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, sometimes it's stuff that we genuinely like and sometimes, like you said, it's just stuff that, that's in there somehow mm-hmm. and, and it pops up again. Wow. Yeah. The stuff about Gigi Allen passing away. Still yeah, that, gets that, me. That was I think that was Tom's idea. We're just like, if there's one person who the phrase "passed away" does not apply to, it's it's, it's Gigi Allen. So that that just became a running a running thing. I can't believe it's been so long since he passed away. I saw the cut of Hated before he died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because my I have a friend is a journalist. Aside from Jonah, um, and uh, he knew the editor of Film Threat. Yeah. Who sent it over to him? And that's um, that's what's his face his first Todd Phillips', Todd Phillips first man. He's in it. Yeah, he mm-hmm. cheats. He plays Unk, lion sucker. Um, but is uh, that right? Yeah, yeah. 
He's Unk. That's Todd Phillips. He never Phillips. knew that. He, and he's gotten in trouble with that with his documentary, so they're not really documentaries. I never knew that. Wow. So at the very end of it, it ends with Gigi in jail. Yeah. And Gigi calls him mm-hmm. and says, hey, can, you know, the operator says, you know, if you want to respond, mm-hmm. press, you know, one. If you mm-hmm. don't, press two. And you just hear the tone. You're not really sure what the number is. That's how yeah. it ends. Then you recut it with the exciting corpse shot. Oh, right. There's YouTube footage of that last night. Have you, have you seen this? No. Where it's like, I guess that show at the, was it called The Gas Station or, or where his last show was? Um, and they, uh, you know, he played. I think it was a concert, right? It was a concert, yes. <laughs> yeah. And the theater that he, he played at uh, was called The Gas Station. And uh, so he, <laughs> the cops come and he, he, they sneak him out. And there's this YouTube footage that it's like at least half an hour of that, just the, the escape. Like the, these fans getting him out of the club, and he's just wearing a jock strap. So they're giving him their clothes to wear, his uh, to, for him to put on. So he's putting on these pants that don't fit him, and and a shirt. And they're trying to get him into a cab, and of course he's covered in feces. And mm, yes. so check that out. Oh, <laughs> you want the gas station? That's on Avenue B. Is that it? Yeah, Third Street. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That place was. Yeah. That. Did you ever see? Did you ever see Gigi Brad? I never. As much as I admired his intensity, he was just one step too far for me. <laughs> yeah. Plus, he fucking was terrible music. Oh, sorry. I don't know. I, <laughs> I thought that that early stuff with the Jabbers. Kind of like pop, like pop punk. Yeah, right, yeah. It? Yeah, it was pretty good. And then I felt like it kind of degenerated from there. But some of that early stuff I thought was kind of catchy. Really? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it was that I heard, I couldn't. Yeah, towards the, the yeah. Terrible. A lot of it's unlistenable. Yeah. yeah, pretty bad. There is a great Rocket from the Crypt related GG story. Um, my memory of the story is that uh, John, the singer, guitar player, and mm-hmm. Paul, the sax player, um, mm-hmm. went to see him play in uh, San Diego. So this must have been maybe 91 or 90. And um, they go to the show and it, you know, it, it starts the regular way he comes out and he does a couple songs and then he he poops, mm. and I think he puts his mic up his butt also, yes. and he starts flinging stuff. Yeah. And of course, everybody everybody just runs out of yeah. the club, and so now people are in the parking lot, and and uh, John and Paul are talking about, oh my god, that was insane, and uh, yeah, it really was. And uh, John looks up and says to Paul. What's that on your hat? <laughs> and it was a piece of poop. Oh, wow. So, that's my memory of the story. I'm, 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 wow. I hope it was true. You know, you know it. it doesn't have to have happened <laughs> to be true. That's right. You know, yeah. that's exactly how it works. Yeah. Um, so right now is, is uh, Bob Mould mm-hmm. presently. And forgive me because I, I have his last couple of records, but mm-hmm. I'm not remembering does he have a new one coming out new one comes out uh, okay. in early september okay and the summer and the the tour we're doing in the fall is going to be uh the first sugar album called copper blue in its entirety wow and then some new stuff and then hooskers faves and stuff so, we're gonna retrospective Ooh. copper blue in its entirety mm-hmm. wow so i'll see see you there Yes, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I should text and get a babysitter immediately because I will be there for that show. I, I love that record. Yeah, except so that record does have my favorite worst lyric in my opinion, mm, mm-hmm. and it's from Hoover Dam. If you see the guy, and uh, if you wait, if you meet the if, 
Meet the guy with the horns in the cape. I'll see you later. Mm-hmm. Later. That's it. He says later twice? He says it Does twice. Oh. Yes. And I'm always like, and every time, and then every time I've seen him, he'll play Hoover Dam. It's a great song. Gets that line, and I'm just sitting there seething. I've never noticed <laughs> it. He says later twice. Yeah. Really? I, I never noticed that either. Were you playing with him when I saw you at, at Joe's Pub when you when he did the acoustic thing? I was there. You were there. Were you, I mean, I know you didn't play that show, but were you playing with him at that point? Or was that? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but my memory is I wasn't even supposed to be in town that day, but I, I was somehow. Yeah. Like today. Exactly. Mm. How do you keep track of everything you're doing? Like, is, do, you have, do you have a drum manager or is it just all you and an abacus? Luckily, it all works. And luckily, all the bands I'm in, in are on the same label at this point. They're all on Merge. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it all works out somehow. Bob's on Merge and Mountain Goat's in Superchunk. What's it like being on the, I don't want to say outside, but that's the only word that comes to mind, of... You know, in the '90s, like like the the rise of the indie rock, mm-hmm. like you know, you, there was there was almost a, a fulfillment of the the early years of the '80s. Like you know, we've all read our band could be mm-hmm. your life. You know, so you get to the end of that book, and it's all about you know beat happening and where yeah. the labels have established themselves. And at that point, you got you know K and J Tree and Merge and Touch and Go and things like that. And you seem to be there when it starts, and you're still there, and you kind of circumvented, dare I say, the bullshit. So is that, um, like, how does that feel as an artist to be? It's great. It, yeah. It, it's, um, yeah, it's like, I don't want to say it's, it's like victory, but but it, in a way it feels like that because it's like we're still here and I'm busier than than ever and playing with all the people I love playing with. So it's, and there's, and this band that I was in, I think I mentioned the, the, the Steve Jordan band that, uh, he, he produced a band I was in back. This, this would be like 1989. So before all of this stuff, I was I was in a band right out of high school that got signed to Arista Records by Clive Davis. So um, just, just this kind of roots rock band from North Carolina. I, I moved from Philly down to North Carolina to, to join so wait, this, this band. This is the band that Jordan produced? He produced, What yeah. was the name of the band? The band was called The, the, the Right Profile. Oh, okay. And one of the members went on to co-write that book freakonomics do you know this book yeah yeah it's a huge Stephen dubner yeah he he was one of the founding members of this band wow yeah that's crazy yeah and so uh he left the band kind of early and then we kept soldiering on and that's when steve jordan produced us but um so i already had this terrible experience with a major label like super early on so um it's been very exciting to not ever have to go back to, to that world and and still be like successful without having to ever be involved in, in that scene again. Did it did it end because of, you know, the band just broke up or mm-hmm. did it end because of label issues or Oh yeah, it was it was label issues and you know, once you sort of it it, it took us forever to even get the green light to make this album. And we were like uh I guess you could you could call it like pre alt country like b- before it had a name, you know. And uh, so we got halfway done a record with Jim Dickinson, who had uh, oh, yeah. he had just produced "Please to Meet Me" the, uh, by the Replacements. So he was he was kind of like one of the only hip guys that would get a band like us or the Replacements or, right. or Green on Did Red. Did he do Hootenanny too? No. Okay. No. 
That would make sense, though, with your country. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So uh, we got halfway into that, and it was just, it wasn't working. And uh, and then once you lose momentum in that world, it's just <laughs> yeah, like you're, you're sort of done. And that's what happened. I mean, yeah, it's just, it, the tragedy would have been if if because the thing that sort of the the method of making records and being a band that you guys set up with early on is what's the it's the future I think now of the music. Yeah, so it's like. It's really good that people aren't looking back and going, yeah, you know, they had it right back then. If only mm-hmm. they were still around. But, you know, the fact that you guys are still doing it and made it through whatever period of time when most of these labels, small labels, broke mm-hmm. up. Or, yeah, Merge had, had had some lean years too, I remember. I'm trying to, uh, I don't know the exact era, but it seemed like the late 90s there, there, were, there was some – but it's definitely that. I mean, I remember like sort of the philosophy of Merge. They definitely had a, I think were more verbal about it mm-hmm. than some of the other labels practicing the same yeah. practices. And like at the time you're like, okay, I admire that. But yeah, I don't, I'm like, <laughs> I don't have mm-hmm. the time or energy to to be a part of it sort of, you know. But it's definitely what I think is, is the future of the music business. Definitely. For sure. Yeah. But it's interesting that not a lot of those labels are still around. Like you said, it's like true. Jade Tree, Touch and Go, mm-hmm. you know, Look Out. Like it seems like Merge has been one of the few that's able to kind of kind of transcend all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, the the two of them, Mac and Large, it's, it's such a great team. Like they, they just they just know how to do it. You know, and, and and the staff there is great, so they they just it's all in place, and 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 they have like hit records. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. I think that's that's a huge part of it. Yeah, you know? I always forget Arcade Fire and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Spoon and yeah, yeah, man. She and him. Yeah, I know. I forgot about Spoon on Merge. Wow, didn't Dinosaur Junior. weren't they on? Mm-hmm. Yep. See, it works. <laughs> I think yeah. you said replacements, and I keep thinking. How crazy it is that Tommy Stinson is in Guns N' Roses, and that sounds like that sounds like the most made up thing ever. Yeah, and it's funny. I saw him at South by Southwest, and we talked for a long time. And I com- after the conversation, I I completely rem- I I'd forgotten that he that's even what he does. Like to me, he's just he's this other guy, right? You know, I always think, wow, he's the new bass player for Soul Asylum. That's what I always yeah. think about. You know, See, Tommy Stinson is my most. I'm not gonna not hate it. He's my I'm the one of the guys I'm the most jealous of because I remember mm-hmm. when the replacements. I'm like the biggest replacement. Yeah, fan. me too. Yeah. I remember when they broke up and I was like, this dude's been in like the coolest band in the '80s, and he's still like not even 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Yet. He's like he's he's of the age that most people are starting their music career. He was like 26 or 27, probably yeah. right when they yeah. when they broke up and yeah. like, pff, fuck, he was probably less than that actually. I mean, I think he was younger than that. Yeah, wasn't yeah. he ten when he started playing in the band? Twelve. Oh god, he was twelve when the band started, the first record. And I'm like, he's had like the coolest music career ever, and he's now at the age that most people start theirs. I think of what I was doing at twelve. I see GI Joe. I was collecting mm-hmm. the comic mm-hmm. and, and the those toys. first two records he made are my <laughs> favorite replacements records. Perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that I love Bash that and Pop record. record. Do you Bash know, and Pop. You know yeah, yeah, Bash and Pop and Perfect. Oh, Both really those good. records I love. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. And now he's on stage with Axl Rose. I know. And and he's the band leader apparently. Like he is he really? he's sort of the uh he's the one Axel talks to to give instructions. I guess and, he figures yeah. he, you know, he made his art, he can do whatever he wants. Yeah. Now. It's probably fun. Yeah. I don't, actually I don't know. Would it be fun being in a band with Axl Rose? Imagine it's imagine it's like being in it. I imagine it's like being in the band like in Vegas. Right. Where you have, like, Wayne Newton comes out. You might not really talk to Wayne, but it's a gig. Right. You don't play that often. You probably get Sundays off, you know, and gives you time to do something else. Right. 
So, I mean, that's that's pretty much what Axel is right now. It's just like a big... I mean, he's probably going to end up doing a residency in Vegas at some point. Oh, for sure. And it won't even be Hard Rock. It'll probably be like Harrah's. Yeah. You know? Well, our friend... You know Brian Diaz? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's teching for Tommy Stinson in Guns N' Roses hmm. now, our friend. So wow. I can't wait for him to... Like, world tour, international. I can't wait for him to get back just to hear some stories. Story. We should have him on. Yeah, mm-hmm. we will. <laughs> so, so when Axel asked you to play, you were like, no, I'm not into it. Yeah, have you played with Axel yet? <laughs> no. I don't think I've had any connection to any Guns N' Roses. Uh, I don't think so. No. You're gonna need a, You're gonna need a tree. You're gonna need the yeah. rock tree yeah. for you for all the bands. I got some good ones. I, I, I did a, a one-off thing with Katy Perry once. Wow. So that's yeah. That never happened again. <laughs> and you did something with REM too. I think, right? Yeah, I played in in a um, that band, the Minus Five, which mm-hmm. which um, Peter Buck plays in with scott mccoy I, I did a little tour with them and uh and then i did this uh th- they would put out a fan club single every year at christmas time for their fans and i got to play on one of those uh that mike mills put together so it was mike and peter was on i guess yeah it was me and mike and michael mm-hmm. and peter and mitch easter oh yeah played wow. on it yeah so that, wow. that was a that was a dream did you play the, the minus five thing that they did? Didn't they do a record with Woko or Jeff Tweedy? Or I, I played, it, it, it was that tour. Okay. Yes. I, I did, uh, we did a West Coast tour opening for for Wilco. Oh, wow. Yes. So you ever home? Where's your base? Uh, Chapel Hill, North okay. Carolina. Yeah. Oh, yeah Not often, on. but. Wow. A little tiny house. Chapel Hill, is that Love It Records? Is that where they are? Yep Rock is based out there. Okay. And Merge is in Durham. Yeah. Yeah. Sugar Hill is in Durham, bluegrass label. I have a bunch of, when I went to school, a bunch of people moved down to Chapel Hill because it was like they, a good band town. <laughs> it was you happening, yeah. 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 Really? Yeah. 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 It was like, I was like, why wow, you're leaving, you're bypassing Richmond, Virginia mm-hmm. to go to Chapel Hill, which makes a lot more sense because, you know, it's way nicer. <laughs> Richmond's tough. It's a tough town. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, My last question can, can you come here just every week? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What else is there to really say? Brad, what else is there to say? Not much, but I do need to just chime in because I was doing my best not to like kind of spill it during the during the interview, but like slack motherfucker, if if there's anybody who's listened to this podcast who's doesn't really who maybe is not a fan of Super Chunk, that song is literally in my top three greatest punk anthems of all time. And is probably in my top like twelve favorite songs of all time you didn't just launch into that while i was here i i was thinking about it and then i was like ah what's the point you know like i didn't there's no reason for me to sit there and like heap praise on him you know like, i feel like I, I think like i handled that like, I <laughs> like me and steam are just like you did this thing is funny this was so funny the song's so good like i mean that's one of those those songs that's this that's one of those songs that like you put it on and when it's over you have to play it again no matter how old you are <laughs> Because you're, you're like, what can I play after this? There's nothing. I can't play another song. Is that, is that how you ended all your DJ sets? <laughs> and, and and last call. It's nothing. There's nothing I can do. <laughs> this is it. Done. Get out. <laughs> but it was cool to hear John tell this, the plane story, and then the videos kind of surface on YouTube and the news, and you could actually see like what was happening. I love how this is unfurled. This is like the ultimate first-person account that now is going to like erupt into the stratosphere because nothing is hidden anymore. Yeah. You know, everything is caught on tape. 
or on on everything is caught on video. Yes, it's not even video anymore. What the what the hell can we call it? When you ca- like, is it technically the term video when it's yeah? Eh. It is. I'm I'm just gonna say film from now on. Yes, and then I'm gonna pull out a Super Eight wherever <laughs> I am without sound. Uh, John Worcester, you can always hear on uh, WFMU constantly. They yeah, just had their five hundredth episode. Five hundredth episode. Congratulations on that. Yeah, uh, Tuesdays from nine to twelve on WFMU and uh, Best Show Gems on iTunes. Those are Best great. Show you turn me under those. Yeah, those are incredible. And Sharpling and Worcester buy all their albums. They're all amazing. Yeah, you can't go wrong. Nope. Okay, uh, we'll see you all next week. And by see, I mean you listen to us, and we assume that you are there. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.